Welcome everyone, you are listening to Bleeding Big Blue Podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and like our videos. This podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and Google Play. Follow our social media pages at Bleeding Big Blue Podcast. So today we had on former Giants offensive lineman and current Watchung Hills High School head coach Rich Sober earlier. Before we get to that, here's a schedule update. Tomorrow we will have on Bobby Skinner of Talking Giants. Most likely Friday we'll have on my friend Sean Cacaro and my brother Luca coming on to discuss the NFL schedule as one is a Steelers fan and one is a Jets fan so we'll break that down for you in our record prediction next Wednesday we're going to have Rohan Sagani on he's going to give an insight on film and analytics for some of the new Giants in 2020 next Friday we're having on Dan Duggan Giants beat reporter for the Athletic he'll be on to talk some Giants and sometime we'll probably have on Helmet Catch podcast host Craig Weirman don't want to miss the next two weeks a lot of big blue talk a lot of content guests you don't want to miss that here's the interview with the former Giants offensive lineman and Super Bowl champion Rich Sober and we are now joined by former Giants offensive lineman and Super Bowl 42 champion Rich Sober how's everything going Rich we're doing good man just uh staying healthy trying to stay healthy all right I'm gonna go to the Twitter questions first uh helmet catch pod asks who was the nastiest lineman on that Super Bowl team or in practice or both in practice in a game? The nastiest lineman on our team, I imagine. Um, I think we're all pretty nasty, right? I think um, I'd have to go with Snee. You'd probably say me, but I'll go, I'm going to go with Chris. Pretty pretty memorable offensive line. That That's why, you know, very, very good question. But that offensive line was memorable, and everybody tries to say that, uh, you know, the Giants are trying to mock that now with all the picks they spent on the offensive line and all the money they're doing. Which lineman or teammate did you have the best relationship with? Uh, all of them, right? I think we still all uh, we got a group text message going to this day. Um, me, Sean, Booth, uh, Snee. Um, we, uh, we all kids. We all talk. Um, you know, Cream and I reach out once in a while. Um, we had a pretty special group. Um, we like doing things together. We like playing with each other, and um, we still like hanging out to this day. So um, I can't pick one. You know, I got to pick them all. They're my brothers, and uh, we've been through a lot of battles together. Afro Skinner asked, and he says that he was at the game where you broke your leg and got carted off the field. How tough was the rehab coming back, and when did you get back to 100% health? Uh, I think I'm still waiting to get back to 100%. Um, no, that was a tough one, right? Uh, that was 2003 against the Eagles at home. Uh, they ran a little Tom game. I got stepped on. I shattered my leg. Um, hospital for three weeks. Um, you know, the rehab was, was pretty uh, was pretty long. Um, I just, you know, thank God that I had a loving wife and uh, the trainers that I had and the Giants for taking good care of me and, and taking their time and giving me, giving me a chance to come back, you know, um, I still remember before I was quick to play, you know, it was, it was uh, Ronnie Barnes and Ernie Acorzi and, and Coach Coughlin, and I think Dave Gettleman was up there too, and he brought me up into the bubble and put me through a little workout. Um, it was tough, you know, um, but it's a business. I, I understand that I needed to show that I, I could play, and um, I wasn't going to let one injury define me. So um, my father, you know, taught me never giving up and never quitting. I just uh, put my mind to it, and I found a way to come back. It's Super Bowl 42. Everyone remembers the Giants' comeback to beat the undefeated Patriots. 
When you guys were down in that game, who kept you guys in that game mentally with leadership? I know one one of them be Strahan. Oh uh, sure, you know Mike. Uh, you know Strahan was definitely a leader of our team. We all everybody knows that. You know uh, Antonio Pierce. You know the offensive line, the line. Um, you know everybody. I don't think we're ever down that much. So um, it was never like we were getting blown out. It was a uh, it was a close game from the get go, and uh, we just wanted a chance to uh, to win a football game, and that's what we had. You know, our defense played played uh, really good. You know, kept it a low-scoring game. Um, I think offensively, you just you just want a chance to win the game at the end. And you know, one of us said we'd rather be down by three points or four points going into the last drive. And I think with a winning mentality, you'd rather be down by four because you know you got to go for a touchdown to win and not just to go to tie. So um, we were in that position before. Um, you know, we just played for each other, and uh, you know, the coaches and the players, we all found a way to get done. When you were released in July of 2010, a year before the Giants won another Super Bowl, did you look for any other NFL opportunities, or did you just say, you know what, I, I have to move on now? I played my knee out the uh, last game against Washington. And, uh, I was on the train ride coming back uh, from from Washington, and that's the year where, you know, we beat Washington and Green Bay loses. We're in the playoffs, and uh, you know that was when Aaron Rodgers won the Super Bowl. So they came back and beat the Bears. Um, Coming back on that train, I knew I was done. Um, I was getting old. Uh, it was the same same leg that I broke, and uh, we're, we're going into the lockout season and, and all that bad stuff that was going on. And, uh, you know, I rehabbed. I, um, I worked hard, but, you know, enough's enough. I had a 10-year career. I was happy that uh, I, I, I would never want to play for another organization. So, you know, once a giant... Uh, always a giant and like Eli said only a giant you know there's something special about saying that where you played for one team your entire career and you never never put on somebody else's uniform you know I never wanted to put on somebody else's uniform and you know I'm a, I'm a Giants fan my kids my family are, are Giants fans and I enjoy going to the games and cheering on the Giants you know no matter how good or bad they are and, you know um, they'll get better I'm excited for this year uh, I think we all are pretty excited for for something to happen this year um, definitely but, uh, you know, I like what uh, Dave Gilman's doing. And, and um, you know, I'm excited for the new coach, you know, Coach Judge. I got a chance to meet him. And, um, he seems like he's an intense guy, and, and he's going to find a way to right that ship. And, um, I'm just excited, you know. Uh, you know, he can be bad for so long, and then the tide's got to change. So I'm uh, looking forward to big things from those guys and looking forward to Daniel Jones uh, getting his chance and, you know, Barkley and the new offensive line, like you said. Um, it's going to be different. A lot of people have been drawing comparisons to Coughlin's first press conference and Judge's per first pre press conference because he was tough. He laid down the law, basically. Even though he didn't mention any players, he laid down the law. Do you see that comparison between the two? I mean, you played under Coughlin. Yeah, sure. You know, I played, with, I played for uh, Coach Coughlin. I love Coach Coughlin. Um, you know, uh, I was at that press conference when Judge first came to uh, New York. and You know, you can see it. You can see the intensity and the uh, desire to win and the want not gonna, you know. Um, I think the biggest thing I took from there is don't tell me what a person can't do. Tell me what he can do. We're gonna make the most of them. You know, I think that's what every good coach needs to do. I don't think, um, you know, I coach high school football. Yeah. And um, you know, we don't have a draft. We get we get kids, and I love the kids I coach at that. And you have to find what they're best at and put them in the right position to succeed. And I don't care what level it is, and um, you know, the NFL, college, or high school for that matter. Um, 
coaching is making men do what they don't want to do to become to become better. And I think that's what he's going to do, and um, I'm excited to watch him coach. Were you at uh, Eli's retirement press conference in January? I, I was. I want to miss that for the world. Eli's, Eli's my guy. You know, I'm a big fan of Eli. You know, one of my friends, and uh, I always wish nothing but the best for that guy. Watching the NFL the last couple of years, many scouts and analysts have said that offensive line talent is deteriorating from transition from college to the NFL in the last couple of years. The Giants may have had a hint of that when Eric Flowers was their ninth overall pick in 2015. Do you agree with that statement that uh, talent is deteriorating on the offensive line from when the transition is made? Um, you know, that could be true. Uh, I've been for a long time now, forever. Um, I think it all comes out. When Will Hernandez was the 34th pick out of UTEP in 2018, a lot of people seem to compare him to Chris C. Do you see that in him a little bit with the aggressiveness? Uh, I, don't know. I don't think I watched him enough to make the comparison. You know, Chris is my guy. You know, played with him. Played next to him only a few times when he was playing center for Charles Hurd. Um, he was a special player. I don't. I don't. I think it's it's not fair to judge anybody to Chris. You know, he was in my mind. He's an all pro. And, Some, so, something like that. Yeah, time will tell. Time will tell. What was the feeling in the last 1 minute, 45, 1 minute, 30 seconds of Super Bowl 42? Obviously, you had the helmet catch, and then you had the game-winning touchdown, and then... Scored too quick. The end of the game. You know, I think uh, everybody's back in their minds we scored too quick. You know, they still had Tom Brady and Randy Moss. They still had time on the clock, and they only need a field goal to ties. But, um... It was pretty special. You know, that game went so fast. Um, Super Bowl 42, you know, it was my first and my only one. And, um, you know, you blinked and the game was over. It seemed like, and you, you look back at it now and, you know, I had the opportunity to watch it, the TV copy with my family that aired during the quarantine, you know, and um, it was fun. It was fun to watch it again. And it might have 
the first time I watched the TV copy and, and watch all the plays and what they were saying about us and what they were saying about them. Um, you know, it was a heck of a football game. Um, like I said, you just want a chance to be in it at the end to win it. And uh, we found a way to get it done. Now, do you know the story about the football with David Tyree in Plaxico? I do not. Unless you tell me, like, what, fill, fill me in on the story. Well, according to... One of the broadcasters I interviewed, Alan Hahn from 9870 ESPN, he says that Plaxico obviously has the ball in which the game-winning touchdown was scored, but David Tyree still wants it because of the helmet catch. And I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, uh, you gotta go steal it, David. Right? Um, I, ne- I never heard that story. I figured that would have been a different ball. You know, it could be the same ball, right? The way they um, throw balls in and out. But um, that's cool. You know, they got to play a little game where if you come over to the guy's house, you find it, take it. Um, you know, we did the same thing with the SV Trophy. It was me, Sean, and Chris when we, uh, that year, you know, we all, we all got to go to the ESPYs, which is pretty cool, and the team won, won one of them, and Sean had it at the party afterwards, and then we played rock, paper, scissors for it, and Sean won, but it's, I, I know where it's at in Sean's house, and if I remember there, I'm going to try to take it back, but um, um, it's funny how little stories like that live on forever. Now, obviously, as we brought up before, the Giants drafted heavy on the offensive line. They look good for the future right now with a lot of depth. Now, how do you? How many years do you think, with the right chemistry, does it take an offensive line to gel? I think it takes a few. You know, two years, two, three years. I think it takes, um, it takes a lot of reps and repetitions. And obviously, you know, what's going on now, who knows when they're going to be able to start. Um, which is going to hurt those guys because they're young. They, they need to get together. They need to start doing everything together from eating breakfast, eating lunch, hanging out, going out at night, going out to dinner, uh, practicing, obviously, watching film. They need to get with the quarterback. The more they can do together, the better off they'll be and the faster the process will, will, will go. Um, I think what made us a good group, a special group, was, like I just said, we did all that stuff together all the time and we enjoyed each other. And I think liking the guy you play next to goes a long ways. You know, that room's got to be pretty tight. And, um, doesn't matter what happens you have each other's backs and uh the more time you spend together that that bond will will happen um my advice would just be give you know whenever you can get together and start being buddies uh two more questions what do you think of this narrative that has been going out the last couple years ever since like eli has been slowing down in his career and obviously he retired in january what do you think of the narrative that people are trying to put out there that the defense carried him when they're talking about if whether Eli should go in the Hall of Fame or not? Uh, Eli's a Hall of Fame quarterback. I'm, I know I'm biased, and I played with him, and, and he is my quarterback. But um, he's two-time Super Bowl champ and two-time Super Bowl MVP, and I think uh, you were judged by what happens at the end of the season. Uh, not, you know, Eli's the man. Um, football's a team sport I'm saying that right so you're not always good as the pieces around you now, offenses feed off defenses and defenses feed off offenses and special teams will help you win games um, I think Eli's the ultimate team player um, you know I don't I don't know what else to say about him he's, uh, he's a great teammate and he won us some football games so um, I'm happy he was my quarterback and we got to play him twice a year I asked former Giants defensive tackle Stacy Dillard about this as well because he's also a uh, high school football coach. How is it developing high school players and getting them ready for the college, the ones that are trying to go to college for college football? Oh, I love it. I, 
just love coaching the high school kids. I think it's um, it's enjoyable to me. It keeps me involved with the football game. And, you know, I get to coach at Watchung Hills, the uh, the Warriors down here in Warren, New Jersey. So um, I enjoy it. You know, uh, we have, we have a handful of kids that really want to play in college, and um, you know, it's fun to talk to the college coaches. It's fun to talk about the student athletes, and you know, that's that's the biggest thing, right? Is is making sure they're doing good in the classroom, and you know. Uh, the level they can play at the next level is, is, is dictating a lot of things sometimes that they can't control, right? Size, speed, um, you know, speed you can work on, but the size is what can I give you. So um, I love pushing these guys. I love telling my stories. Do you think the players admire, do you think the high school football players admire you maybe more than they would a regular coach or admire you the same because, admire this level the same because you have been in the NFL for so long and you won a Super Bowl? Rich, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for coming on. No, thanks, man. Stay healthy, all right, man? Yep, you too. All right, so after this interview, um, I wrote down some things, and I wanted to analyze them and take away from this interview. You know, I usually don't analyze interviews or take away from them, but there's a lot to learn in this short interview I did with Rich Schoiber. Um, First one, drafting O-line. It took Gettleman three years in this current regime to draft an offensive line. You saw Will Hernandez get drafted in 2018. He was kind of a put-in guy, you know, a guy you could use right away. Not really a guy you have to develop, but a guy you could put in right away. He's started 32 of the 32 games he's played ever since he's been a Giant, you know, 2018, 2019. He did drop off in production last year, but that's for another episode. Um, Giants spent three picks on offensive line this year, and, you know, they keep getting undrafted free agents, Nick Gates being one of them from 2018, not making his debut till 2019 because of an injury and he got put on IR. But the point is, draft an O-line for a long-term answer because that's the way teams are doing it this decade and this generation. It's not building to free agency anymore. You saw what happened to the Giants' defense in 2016. They were one of the best in the league, one of the best scoring defenses in the league. Olivier Vernon, Damon Harrison, and Janoris Jenkins. All guys that were added in free agency. All guys that were gotten rid of by Dave Gettleman. Now, you could say that you didn't agree with them because there were different circumstances to why each was traded. Vernon having 
the most downside, I would say, in a way, because he didn't, he was injured most of the time, and he didn't really, he was really inconsistent with his pass rush. Now, going back to Jenkins and Snacks Harrison, those were different. You know, one got traded for a fifth, and Jenkins was released after an insensitive tweet last year, which left the secondary without a veteran. My point is, those options in free agency did not work. And you've seen Dave Gettleman finally decide, you know what, we're going to build through the draft. He got Matt Pert, a developmental right tackle, who's going to be a bit of a project. We're going to have to sit there and develop him. And, you know, he's not so good at getting off of his hips so good with speed. But that's something you could fix when you go to the NFL because you're going to have guys like Yannick Nagakwe and Jadeveon Clowney where he's going to face. But the point is, even... If you develop a guy for the first two years and he doesn't, he steps on the field barely, you're still getting a long-term answer if you have the right coaching staff. They tried doing that with the 2015, 2016, 2017 offensive line. Only, I believe, one person was added through free agency, and that was John Jerry, the right guard. Flowers was drafted, Pugh was drafted, Richburg was drafted, and Bobby Hart was drafted. That was the starting offensive line. Obviously, that didn't work because Hart didn't know how to block Pugh couldn't stay on the field, Richburg couldn't stay on the field, and Eric Flowers was just the turnstile. But in the thing of this, you do get Andrew Thomas at left tackle, and he's going to start at left tackle sometime during the season where they, they play some at right tackle just to start, even though he's more of a force at left tackle. It depends because right tackle is the weaker tackle. Do you really want Nate Solder facing more and the better edge rushers at the left side and struggling again like he did last year? Or do you want him on the weaker side where you're going to face weaker pass rushers and you want Thomas going through those struggles? Personally, I've thought about it. I would say that Thomas is better to put at left tackle because you're developing him for the long term. And if you put him at right tackle, you're going to have to switch him to left tackle and have him go through his footwork again. And that's very different when you get to the NFL. Now, Pert and Lemieux, both guys that you need to develop. Lemieux probably going to center, probably going to guard. And as I mentioned, you have Matt Pert, who's going to be playing right tackle in the next few years or the next couple of games in the season. You could probably throw him in at the end of the season because, I don't know, the Giants are not making the playoffs, and everybody knows that on a stance right now. I'm not saying that they don't have hope, but this team is not ready to compete yet. They need at least one more year to set everything straight and to get their playmakers to develop their secondary and develop their pass rush because their pass rush is at nothing right now. So my first takeaway from this interview would be if you're a team that needs a long-term option along the offensive line and if you're having problems, yes, I get it. The last couple of years, the offensive line uh, talent has been deteriorating from the transition from college to the NFL. But if you're an offensive line coach in the NFL, you would want to get these players ready for the long term. You want to be able to use them. You don't want short-term answers that you're going to be keep signing to contracts and contracts and contracts. You're wasting money possibly on a waste. You want somebody long-term who could develop into that franchise offensive lineman that you want. You Again, you don't want short-term answers. You don't want a guy for one to two years and then go, bye. You don't want to do that. That's why... Dave Gettleman pulled his head out of his ass this year and decided, okay, let's take uh, 3 out of 10 picks on offensive line. They picked Thomas, they picked Lemieux, and they picked Pert. Yes, as I explained it before, it might take a little bit for Lemieux and Matt Pert to adjust to the NFL. 
bigger defensive tackles, speedier edge rushers. That's what you're going to get in the NFL. And if you develop these guys correctly, you'll get that. So the Jerry Reese thing of signing offensive tackles and signing short-term options doesn't work. Dave Gettleman learned that a little bit into his regime with the New York Giants. Obviously, he was here before, but I'm talking about the GM regime. So obviously, draft an offensive line. That's how teams win these days. That goes with really any position. Like, if you want, just need, like, a tack-on uh, pass rusher, you could either actually take time to draft that, or you could just add one in free agency if you're a step away from winning. But if you're looking for the long-term option, you need to draft that player. That's one of the lessons to take out of this. The second lesson is chemistry. For the people who heard the interview and heard Rich say, oh, uh, we used to go out to dinner, we used to do all this uh, stuff w- with each other. That was him, Kareem McKenzie, David Deal, Chris Snee and Sean O'Hara. That is chemistry. That's going out to dinner. And I'm not saying that you have to, have to be somebody's best man. You know, it doesn't have to get like that. But you need to develop chemistry. And you need to know your other offensive linemen so you work better. It makes it a thousand times easier when you're trying to gel. That's what this offensive line needs. And that's what a lot of people forget in this league. That you don't just build an offensive line they gel automatically. No. You could draft an offensive line. They don't gel automatically. Why? Because they don't know each other. They have to get to know each other and work well with each other. In a group side by side. Go out to dinner. Do something. You know, have a drink on a Friday night or something. I don't know. But the point is that I think a lot of offensive lines lack chemistry. And this is not something we've heard of. You know, the old-fashioned way was go out to dinner. Now, you, I don't know if you really do that for offensive linemen. I don't know if offensive linemen do that these days. I could be wrong. But a lot of players don't know how to gel their positions these days. Whether it be offensive line, the secondary, or the defensive line. Gelling your position is is one of the keys to having a successful football team and being a successful player. And that's something the league has missed over the years for certain teams at certain positions. That's why this is a lesson to learn from. If you learn from Sean O'Hara, you know, he'll tell you or Rich will tell you they used to go out to dinner, you know, they used to do everything together. That's why they worked so well. I'm not saying that they were the best offensive line in football, but they were one of the best because they knew each other and they know who they were and they worked well together because they knew how each other worked and knew how each other did everything. That's what teams forget. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcasts are available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and also on YouTube. Follow our Instagram and Twitter pages at Bleeding Big Blue Podcast. Join us tomorrow when Bobby Skinner of Talking Giants comes on. Friday, Sean and Luca will come on to discuss their schedule predictions for the schedule that is coming out this Thursday around 8 o'clock, but obviously you'll have the leaks. Uh, next week we have Dan Duggan of The Athletic on next Friday, and one of my friends over Twitter is joining us next Wednesday to discuss his view on analytics and film. He's going to show us some film probably and his analyzations on the newer New York Giants and we see how they played from a microscope from other teams. Thank you everybody for listening and we will see you tomorrow.